You are listening to the Passion City Church Podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. So in this journey we've been on, The God You Can Know, I love this series so much. I was sitting at my desk a few days ago, and I just had to get up at one point and say, I need to go walk outside for a minute, because my brain is hurting right now, and my mind is blown. Isn't that awesome? You ever just reading the Word of God or spending time with Jesus or sitting in church and you're just like, okay, I need, I need a little break right now because I'm not like looking at God in a snow globe. I'm actually going up the Mount Everest of God and I need to acclimate for a minute. I need to get back down to an altitude where I can breathe and then I'll come back up and take another step or two in knowing God. Anybody on that journey with me know what I'm talking about when I'm saying? that. We talked about last week how art galleries have benches. Why? Because art is supposed to be appreciated, not checked off a list. Another way of looking at it, I discovered this week that since 1950, some of us were around in the 1950s, to present tense time, the dinner plate in America has radically changed. 1950s and 1960s, the average dinner plate in America was nine inches across. So that's like a salad plate right now. That's like, we're just getting started good. That's like, wow, what's coming next? The dinner plate was nine inches. You could put about 800 calories worth of food on it if you piled it full of food. By 2000, the average dinner plate in America was 10 inches across to 11 inches across. And now the average dinner plate, many sources I read said in America right now is 13 inches across. Now that made me do what you wanna do when you get home. I got the tape measure out, I got our dinner plates out. <clears throat> Ours are officially 11 inches at our house. But there are some restaurants in town, I won't name them, where the dinner plates are 15 inches across and piled high. So what has happened in the last generation is we're putting more than twice as much food on the plate and over double the calories are going on the plate every time we sit down to eat and slowly but surely we've come to see this as normal. Now what is the result in America? What's different about America now from 1950? Hello, anybody? I'm sucking my stomach in right now as I'm giving this message. That's what's different from 1950. And the reason is because our serving sizes, our portions have gotten larger. And it didn't didn't matter because our plates have gotten bigger. And so we can plop a whole lot more of this and a whole lot more of that. And we even make fun of restaurants where you go and there's a regular size plate and a little bitty portion of food. And we say it was one of those frou-frou restaurants where you weren't sure you were going to be able to survive at the end of the meal. And our mindset has changed. And when I was reading about this, it made me wonder If the opposite thing has happened to us spiritually that has happened in the natural realm, obviously, in our lives. It made me wonder if in the last generation, 
Our plate, if you will, spiritually hasn't gotten larger, it's gotten smaller. If our sermons haven't gotten more mind-stretching, they've gotten more simplistic and more readily accessible because people in a modern world don't have time to go up the mountain of God. So break it down and put it on a small plate and give me a little portion and I wondered, I, I'm, I'm not making a value about our generation, I just wondered like overall, spiritually, in America, have we gotten bigger and stronger spiritually in the last generation, or have we gotten a little bit more frail in the last generation? And I wonder if we've gone from a 13-inch plate down to a nine-inch plate. And our time with God is quick, it's fast, it's gotta be instant, it's gotta be digestible, quickly accessible, super applicable. And I wonder if we're missing out on an opportunity to come up the mountain of God and to have our minds blown and to have our hearts blown with who God is. And that's what I love about these few weeks we're in. We're breaking down this journey by discovering the attributes of God. Something that we've said each week is something that God has revealed as true about himself. So I'm not writing the book of the attributes of God. God is revealing to us who he is, attribute by attribute by attribute, and as we sit on the bench for a moment or put a little larger serving on our plate with each attribute, then we're discovering more and more of who God is. And we've talked about a few attributes already. We began by talking about the fact that God is holy, the holiness of God and the glory of God. <clears throat> Last week, we took a different turn and talked about the sovereignty of God and the love of God. Today, I wanna to take on two other attributes of God. Number one, that he is everlasting. And secondly, that he is incarnate. So we're gonna look at the fact that we are worshiping an everlasting God today. You could put a, some other words around that, we'll talk about it, and that this everlasting God is also incarnate, and these two realities sitting side by side are a powerful combination for us today. So let's begin with the fact that our God is an everlasting God. If you have scripture, we're gonna look at the Psalm of Moses, Psalm 90. And I love this because when we begin to talk about God as an everlasting God, our grammar breaks down and the laws of physics break down around the everlasting God. Grammar doesn't really apply to God and physics don't apply to God either in the sense of time and space. This is what Moses writes, Psalm 90. And this should be a huge encouragement to us, especially to people today who are in seasons of life that don't all add up in the natural. He writes this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. 
And then you can just read on, and I don't know if we're going to have the rest of this text, but he just, in this psalm, leads us up to our verse for last year here, teach me to number my days, or teach us, Lord, to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. So how do we get a right view of our lives? We start with a right view of God. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations for before the mountains were born or you gave birth or brought forth the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Translation, God has no beginning and he has no end. He is our eternal, everlasting God. Now, the word everlasting is going to help us here, and we're not going to do a deep dive into, our, into Hebrew and Greek today, but I did want to just do a little snapshot, take you back to where we were last week, looking at Strong's, looking underneath the surface, looking at this word everlasting in the Hebrew language to see what it means. And here's a little diagram of where we're going with that. The word is olam for everlasting. You see it at the very top up there. It's, a, it's a, a masculine noun again, and this is one of the names of God, El Olam, the everlasting God. And as you read down and begin to, we're on the left-hand column over here, and you begin to read down to the definition, long duration, which seems a little weak in this case, but I love the next two words, antiquity, you see where I'm reading right here, uh, first paragraph, last line, antiquity and futurity. And so then you can see at the very last paragraph down here, all the various ways this word is translated given the English Bible that you have in your hands. Translators, by the way, they're not just making stuff up. They're digging into the Hebrew. They're digging into word origins. They're comparing with this usage of this word in other places throughout the Hebrew language and the Hebrew Bible. And then they're giving us words like the ages, all successive, always, ancient, ancient times, continual, days of old, that sounds like a good revival word, eternal, eternity, there are two words right there, ever, everlasting, uh, capital everlasting, the name of God, El Alam, everlasting, the concept of being everlasting forever, forever and ever, forever with an asterisk, so there's more to dig into, and forevermore with an asterisk, some more, lasting long, long ago, long time, old, permanent, permanently, perpetual, and perpetually. So when we're coming to worship today, we're not just coming to worship the man upstairs, we're coming to worship El Olam, the everlasting God. A God who it's possible with our minds to perceive of a, as an eternally future God because we, we're in that story. We, we all see heaven coming on the radar. We all can imagine a God who's gonna put away sin and death and sickness and sorrow, who's gonna lead us into a new heaven and a new earth where forevermore we're gonna live with him as El Olam, the everlasting God. But it stretches our minds to think about a God who doesn't just exist in eternity future, but he also exists in eternity past. That there never was a moment 
where God wasn't El Olam. He has no beginning and no end. So God, in the moment that we're in, called time and space, lives in an eternity future, already lives there because there's no succession in the concept of this name. Things don't happen sequentially. It's three o'clock, now it's four o'clock, and you're still God. Oh, we made it into the five o'clock hour, and you made it into the five o'clock hour. God is already in the future as God. And at the same time right now, he exists in the past as God. No beginning, no end, no sequential journey. Just I am God, El Alam. We get the New Testament equivalent of this in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And I love this text as well because we see both of our words in this text. 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. And Paul is writing and he says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus, okay, so now this El Alam, this eternal God, is in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the incarnate side of what we're looking at today. And we, we see this unfolded in the text. Jesus Christ came into the world. Why? To save sinners. Paul writing, of, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Praise break. We saw this in Timothy last week. Whenever Paul writes about El Olam becoming Emmanuel, the God who exists in eternity past and eternity future, stepping into time and space on a rescue mission for you and me, he stops and has a praise break. He never just reads this like he cracked open a spiritual fortune cookie and says, isn't it amazing that Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am the worst? to show his incredible patience for us and to lead us to eternal life. Isn't that great? Let's all just give a hearty amen. Whenever Paul opens up this idea, he says, I'm just gonna have to stop right here and fall down on my knees and give praise and honor and glory to God. And then we get this amazing and stunning benediction. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, and by the way, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping. He just goes right back to the letter. So what we want in our lives is a larger plate and a larger serving spoon so that we can put a larger God into the flow of our lives and our thinking. Why? Because it's going to produce something, a natural effect in us, an unplanned life of worship and adoration of God. It's going to stun and amaze us the more we gaze at who he is. And when he says, now to the king eternal, that's what we're talking about today. 
And we won't dig down into the Greek underneath this verse, but I did. And as I dug down into that word eternal, it really is saying there to the king of the ages in ages there has the connotation of the eons. So the king of the eons. And as I read down, dug down and kept investigating, what I learned was this is the equivalent of a Hebrew word. And guess what the Hebrew word is that is the equivalent word to this word, king eternal. What do you think the Hebrew equivalent is? Olam. So everlasting, eternal God. A few ways that we see this in scripture, you might just take uh, some quick notes. When Moses was at the burning bush, God reveals himself. He reveals his name to Moses and he says, my name is Hayah. It's easy to remember that Hebrew word, by the way. Um, it should be Haya. My name is Haya. It's the present tense active form of the verb to be. So when he said, I am that I am, again, not phenomenal uh, grammar. Well, who shall I say? sent you to them when I go tell the Israelites that you called me to lead them. Tell them that I am sent you. Uh, that's not good grammar. I, somehow that's not working. That's right. That's because the everlasting God doesn't fit into the English language or any language. He is above all of our ability to define him with our words. My name is present tense active form of the verb to be that present tense active form of the verb to be. I am that I am. I be that I be. And you don't even need the I. You just need the be because that's the verb. Be that be. Who's your God? Be that be. You can just squish that together. Who's your God? My God is be. God says I be. I am that I am. Oh, tomorrow, I be tomorrow. Yesterday, I be yesterday. And so they said about Jesus, he's the same, the Hebrew writer said, yesterday and today and forever. Why? Because I be. I am that I am. That's my name. Go tell him, I am sent you. Isaiah 46, 9. Remember the former things, those of long ago. This is God speaking for himself because that's what has to happen when God's revealing. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. And therefore I say, my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. Don't you love it when God starts talking like that? Isaiah 40, 28, do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, El Olam, same word the creator of the ends of the earth. Daniel 4.34, Nebuchadnezzar, most powerful man on planet earth, loses his mind and goes insane. But he gets restored as an act of mercy from God, at the end of which he says, and at the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, feels like he's on the stand now, 
raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And then we see about Jesus, Revelation 22, verses 12 and 13. Look, this is in red in Revelation. So Jesus is speaking now, revealing again about himself. Look, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last the beginning and the end. The way Tozer says it is this, God dwells in eternity, but time dwells in God. So our God is a God who's limitless in every way. Now, just to give a little picture, and C.S. Lewis started this idea A pastor friend of mine, Craig Rochelle, picked it up and put it in the form that I'm showing you today because it it just stunned me, and even more so in a way than the way that C.S. Lewis gave it to us decades ago. But he said, imagine that God is this line of rope just going, and we, we have a budget here, so we couldn't just infinitely go to infinity. I mean, we couldn't go to the rope store and say, we need an infinite amount of one inch rope. They're going to, we need, we need like a, you need 40 feet, 70 feet, 100 feet, because we don't have an infinite amount of rope. But if we did, and you could just imagine infinity on the other end of this as God, and then all the way to the other side going into the future infinity of God, another dimension just with no end. And then you come down to the middle, and in the middle is just a representation for us today of human history. Not of your life, of human history. Like, there isn't a world, let's make a world. This wasn't what God did on day one. Oh, you know, we're up here just twiddling our thumbs with the angels. And that's getting old. We've watched Rocky five times already, and it was inspiring. (laughs) But what are we going to do now? Uh, We should probably make a universe. It's a good thing to do because, you know, it's kind of quiet up here, and the angels are chill, and Larry's not here to work on all his problems. No, from eternity, God was fine. Not for a year or a billion years or a trillion generations, forever. God was fine. And then God spoke, and the universe came into existence. And we know this present world has a timeline on it. And somewhere in there, 
impossible to depict with a human hair or a sliver of paper turned on its edge or a razor blade, it would be impossible to depict your life. And then there's God. And God. El Olam, the everlasting God. So when Moses begins Psalm 90, before the mountains were born, it makes sense that he steers the car towards teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know why? Because the Ecclesiastes writer says that God has put eternity in the hearts of man. El Alam created you. Therefore, some of El Olam is in your thinking. And that's why all of humanity stretches to imagine something that is greater, not only than themselves, but than everything else that is. And that's why we're in the right place today when we came to worship the Almighty God. I wonder how El Olam impacts me. Do, do, do I pray differently when I'm praying to El Olam? Lord, uh, Sally's having surgery on Tuesday. No kidding. Could have skipped over that part. Well, it's at Mercy General. Could have skipped over that part. 2.30. Dr. Gerber's gonna do it. It's for her retina. It's detached. Please just tell me something I don't know. You're like, I thought he cared about us. I thought he cared about everything we cared about. I thought there was no detail too small for him. I thought he numbered the hairs on our head and imagined that job, you know, we're blow drying in the morning. He's like, oh, one down, I'll go, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Got it. And then you do one last little thing. Got it. Easier to number the hairs on Brad's head so some of the jobs balance out. You know, the one balances out the other, and so this is kind of like a steady state, 88, got it. You know, so we're working down in, in double digits. Thus, I'll be at Cumberland at 1145. But how would a larger plate and a larger serving change my prayer life. How, how for me as an anxiety overcomer, 
would El Olam impact my anxiety about the present, the past, or the future? How would El Olam inform my suffering today? And how would El Olam speak into my investment today into the kingdom of God? We came today to worship a God who cannot be fully comprehended and that one of his attributes is he is eternal and everlasting. He is infinite with no beginning and no end. That's just one of the attributes of our God. But stunningly, this eternal and everlasting God is also incarnate. What does incarnate mean? It means simply this. It means that God has come to live among mankind. We worship a triune God. We're not gonna look at that aspect of God in these few weeks we have together, but one of the attributes of God is that he is a community of gods, all distinct yet equal and all one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And what we see in scripture is all of them are everlasting. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Another place that in the writer of the Hebrews says, and through the eternal spirit. So we've already seen that God is everlasting. We see in scripture that the Father is everlasting, Son is everlasting, Spirit is everlasting. But this community of gods on a rescue mission from the El Olam of-ness that they lived in wanted to enter into the story of human history and the way that they entered into the story of human history was by the yes of the Son of God who was fully God and as we'll see in a moment, also El Olam said, I will enter into human flesh. So hello, next Christmas, let's just get a big dose of how everlasting got into a manger in Bethlehem. How did that happen? You're like, I've never seen a miracle in my life. I've never experienced a miracle in my life. Oh yes, you have. If you believe in Christmas, there's no bigger miracle you're ever going to experience than that that the everlasting God got in a manger and came through the womb of a woman born in the likeness of human flesh. Why? So that they could call his name, Matthew 1.23, as was prophesied by Isaiah Emmanuel, which means, hello, God with us. Praise break. This is where we don't go, oh, I know that one, Emmanuel. You go, praise break. Hold on. No beginning, no end, manger. Alpha and the Omega, baby crying. (laughs) Miracle. God with us. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, and the Word, capital W-O-R-D, the eternal Word of God, Jesus, 
became flesh and dwelled among us. The message version of that I love, and the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. El Alam on earth. Phenomenal and stunning for all of us. And then look at John's gospel, chapter eight. And you have to give some grace to the people living in Jesus' time because hello, it's, it's a miracle. And I read now, and I read back now about these Jewish leaders and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law, and I'm like, you idiots! And then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not even sure those of us 2,000 years on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus fully grasp what we're talking about. It's stunning in every single way. It says in verse 48, the Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying, talking to Jesus, that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Jesus said, I am not possessed by a demon. I just love that line. (laughs) There's so many ways he could have done that, but he just chose the graceful way. (laughs) But I honor my father, and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. They're processing. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father, Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? And Jesus was like, oh, boy, that was a tough one. Give me a moment. Let me regroup with my team, and I'll get back to you. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. And now they're losing their minds. You are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. Excuse me, I think you meant to say like I was, I I, I were. Grammar's not great, Jesus, so surely you're demon-possessed and a fraud. It's like, no, the grammar is really not that great, but the theology is mind-boggling. Standing right here in human form, I know it's hard for you to put your minds around this, guys, but before Abraham was... I am, I be, I be before Abraham, I be now, and I be after it all is said and done. You're looking at him, you're looking at El Olam. And when he said that, fireworks went off. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. 
But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. See, Jesus ran headlong into the Roman Empire, which is really just a tool used out of fear of insurrection to accomplish the purposes of El Alam in making a way for you and I to be forgiven and have a relationship with the eternal God. It was just the Roman Empire and the cross was just a way for God who would put eternity in your heart to make sure that you spent that eternity in a relationship with the eternal God. But on the flip side of that was the culture of the Jewish mindset. And the Jewish mindset could hardly embrace the idea of incarnation. That El Olam was in a human body. Again, as the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 8, verse 3, that, that Jesus had taken on human likeness so that he could defeat death and defeat sin in the flesh. So that those of us trapped in sinful flesh could be restored as the sons and daughters of God. If you're looking for incarnate in your word search, you won't find it. You'll find the word sarx, which is a Greek word that means flesh. And from that word, we have our companion word from Latin, which is incarnation. In the flesh. God in the flesh. The miracle of God in the flesh, Bethlehem. The mission of God in the flesh, Calvary and the empty tomb. But the manifestation of God in the flesh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. In the days of old, in the history of humanity, El Olam dwelled in a tent in the wilderness, migrated to the tabernacle, a holy place where God would dwell with men, eventually to the temple where the Holy of Holies separated sinful man from holy God, where the ark and the altar and the mercy seat of God resided. But no longer the tent and no longer the tabernacle and no longer the temple. Now the manifestation of El Olam is that Jesus Christ, the Son, by the Holy Spirit of the living God lives in you, the everlasting God, not just with men, but the everlasting God living in men. Not Christ and you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You're like, but think about it. I hope you never forget this rope. And the next time you say, I'm at the end of my rope. (laughs) 
You can go. It wasn't a very long rope to start with. <laughs> what do I do, Pastor? I'm at the end of my rope. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I can hold it together any longer. I don't know if I have the strength to do this. I don't know if I'm going to make it another day. I don't know if I'm going to endure this trial. I don't know if I can get up again tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to have the ability to face what I've got to face. What do I do? What do I do? I'll tell you what you do. Let go of the rope. Let go of your rope. And in the free fall, fall into El Olam. And breathe in the miracle. If you're in Christ by faith in Jesus, El Olam is in you. Christ in me, the hope of glory. So I let go of self-effort, self-power, self-confidence, self-ability. I let go of the sense that I've got to dig in and hold on because who knows what would happen if I let go of my rope. I will tell you what will happen if you let go of your rope. If you let go of your rope to take hold of this rope, you're gonna find out that this rope is never going to fail you. Father, I don't need to give you all the details today. I don't need to tell you about the meeting I'm walking into. I don't need to tell you why this deal went south. I don't need to tell you what kind of cancer it is. I don't need to tell you the name of the doctor. I don't need to tell you about the protocol. I don't need to tell you about the uh, settlement that's right in front of us. I don't need to tell you which judge we got in our divorce case settlement. I don't need to tell you about my brother in Idaho. I don't need to run down the details of the economy in London. I don't need to give you details. I I just need to stand with a bigger plate and a larger serving of a God who has no beginning and no end, a Christ who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, a God who by the Spirit has come to take up residence inside of somebody like me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The everlasting God became the incarnate one so that I then could become a brand new living son or daughter of the almighty everlasting God. I am written into an unending story. I have a seat at an everlasting table. I have a father who never is going to fade away. I've got access to the one who knows the beginning from the end in this moment right now. And he holds me in the palm of his hand. I worship you, God. You are the great I am. You are Hayah. You are I am that I am. You are I am that I am.
you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.